his authority over his people. He appealed to them. He led them. He served them. He laid down his own life for them. And the conclusion, after looking at all of that, could only be one thing, to look at him and ask ourselves, what kind of king is this? This is a king unlike any other. It also showed how he built a kingdom, but he didn't build his kingdom in a traditional sense. No, he didn't come and overthrow the Romans. He didn't come and wage war in a traditional sense. He didn't appeal to those who were in power or to those of means. He built his kingdom through love. He built his kingdom by seeking after the oppressed. He didn't wage war in a military sense. He came and he waged war against sin through the destruction of his flesh. And ultimately, he became king and spread his kingdom by allowing himself to be overthrown by the subjects and allowed them to have a rebellion so that he might be enthroned. Not knowing that their rebellion would put an end to all rebellion and that overthrowing the king, they were actually enshrining him as the true king forever and ever. And as we look at our fifth and final message on being made new at the cross, by looking, we're going to be looking at our Lord as conqueror. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. It will also be projected up behind me. But not just conqueror, more than a conqueror, he's portrayed in this passage. But just like in the way he established himself as king, just like the way he established his kingdom, he did not conquer in a traditional sense. He didn't conquer through might, but conquered through meekness. He didn't conquer by appealing to birthright, but he came and was born lowly. He didn't conquer from a castle, he conquered from a cross. And he didn't conquer by taking life, he conquered by giving life and laying down his life. And lastly, he didn't conquer to boast in his victory, but so that his victory might be imputed to us, the very ones who thought that we had conquered him. And because he walked out of the grave that first Easter morning, conquering death, victorious, we're going to see in our passage this morning that through faith in this king, we are now more than conquerors, even though we did not lift a finger other than to throw the stones that made it necessary. So our passage starts off with a series of questions. Look with me at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously through him give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as is written? For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Lord, I thank you for your word, O oh God. I pray that it would minister to hearts here this morning in a unique way. And Lord, that we would leave rejoicing over the fact that you are risen. Lord, you are risen indeed. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul just finished this beautiful description in Romans 8 going up through verse 30 of God's love and how we're made new by God's love. And then he asks this question, as we look at this, what are we supposed to say to these things? It's kind of supposed to be a rhetorical question. What Paul's getting at is, if we really realized who we are apart from Christ, where we were headed without Christ, and we realize all that Jesus did for us to secure our redemption, and if we realize who we now are because of Christ, and we realize the inheritance we have because of Christ, what can we really say to these things? What can we do but stand there in total and utter amazement? There should be a sense of astonishment as we gaze upon the empty tomb. And I pray that as you come here this morning, that you have a sense of astonishment as we look in faith at the empty tomb together. When I used to live in Colorado, um, you know how we... Um, is there anybody here that traveled down from North Jersey to visit family? Because if you did, put your fingers in your ears for a sec, because we don't want you to... Um, there's a word that, what's the word that we call the folks that come down to the shore? And, and Bennies, okay, so none of you North, North Jersey folks heard that. We don't call you Bennies. But when I lived in Colorado, we used to call Bennies gapers. And the reason we call them is because they'd look up at a mountain that was 14,000 feet tall and go like this. That was our loving term of endearment. But that's what I think of when Paul asks this question, what shall we say to these things? It's like we should be standing in front of an empty tomb like a bunch of gapers, just going, you did that. You, you walked out of there. You defeated death. I pray that this morning you are able to look at the empty tomb and arrive at the same conclusion that Paul did. What shall we say? to these things. And then he asks another question. He says, so if God is for us, who could possibly be against us? Think of the magnitude of what we celebrate today. Think of the baptisms that we're about to see here in a, in a little while. If the one who decided that he was done being dead and then walked over his own grave walk completely out of it on his own accord, if he's on your side, what can really be against you? If you've put your faith in Jesus, the one who has the power of the only thing that could possibly frighten us, the power of death, not only death, but eternal death, if he's on your side, God is for you. Who could be against you? And then he asks another question. He who did not spare his son, but he gave him up for you, if he did all of that, how could he not freely, through him, give us all things? Look, that was the only thing that was ever hard for God to do. As we look at the entire cosmos, and you read through the miraculous creation account in the first chapters of Genesis, does it say that he labored to create everything that you see all around us? No, he just spoke and a universe fell out of his mouth. He did the only thing that was difficult. 
He gave you his son. If he's done all of that, how can we not count on him to freely give us all things? In case you still doubt God's love, Paul reminds them, just think of Good Friday. He reminds them, if you ever doubt God's love, just look for a moment at the cross. If you ever doubt his provision, just consider how he provided for you that which was infinitely valuable to him because he sees you as infinitely valuable and as his inheritance. And then he asks a question that everybody sitting in this room today has to grapple with at some point. Who can bring a charge against God's elect. What he's saying is, if you're in Christ, who can bring a charge against you? In my opinion, out of all the beautiful truths in the Bible, this is probably, it's at least up there in the most beautiful truths in the pantheon of beautiful truths. Because I know the crushing weight of living under condemnation, of living under guilt, of living under accusation. And I suppose that there are some here who know that weight as well. I suppose that there are some, even seated here this morning, who still know that crushing weight of living under accusation, guilt, and condemnation. And can we just admit that there are a lot of accusers out there. Accusation comes from many different angles. We are born as it says in Psalm 51, with the chips stacked against us already. But we're not only born in sin, but then we willfully choose it and have to deal with the ramifications that come as a result of it. And then we have an enemy of our souls who never ceases to make accusation against us night and day. And not to mention, there's also people who like to, for some reason, come in agreement with the enemy of our souls and kick you while you're down and bring further accusation. And let's be honest, sometimes the worst accuser is yourself, isn't it? I mean, you can listen to all those voices out there, but I know for me that there is no voice that speaks a louder accusation than the voice that's in here sometimes. But Paul points out that for all of us who have believed in Christ, the accusations against you are done away with forever and ever. If you're here and you're living under guilt, condemnation, or accusation, the good news is you don't have to live that way anymore. Amen? The good news is that if you're in Christ, you know what the answer is to who can bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody! That's the answer to the question. And then he gives you the proof. He goes on to say, it is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. So because of any accusation that could ever be made against us, it was taken care of when Jesus died. So the next time you feel a sense of accusation rise up in your spirit, you can say, Christ already died for that. The next time you're tempted to walk in guilt or shame, you can look at that guilt and that shame and say, Christ already died for that. The next time somebody preaches at you the false gospel of condemnation, you could say, I don't have to listen to that because Christ already died for that. The next time you feel the enemy from within trying to tell you that you're worthless, 
you could say, I'm not going to listen to that voice because Christ already died for that. You're a liar. The next time somebody speaks a word of condemnation over you, you could say, you know what? You're right. I have many flaws. And for every single one you could point out, I could give you ten more to stack against it. But guess what? Christ already died for that. And he walked the long, lonely road of condemnation so that you don't have to. Christ became condemnation and took condemnation so that you would never have to face condemnation. And when you feel condemnation, you could say, my Savior died for that. If you don't know that freedom, I want you to know you can leave here today knowing that freedom. Not hoping for that freedom or guessing for that freedom, knowing now and forevermore. If you truly believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross on Good Friday and he stood there in your place as a penalty for your sin and that he rose from the grave because it could not hold him because he was God, very God, and he walked out victorious. And when he did, you who put your faith in him were in him when he rose from the grave. And if you truly believe that he is the way, the truth, the life, and that nobody can come to the Father but through him, and you put your trust in that completely, you can leave here knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He set you free from that. And if that wasn't amazing enough, because it is. That's really amazing, folks. It doesn't end there. In fact, Paul's just getting warmed up with the good news. He says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, but more than that, he's the one who was raised. And he's at the right hand of God. And is indeed interceding for us. So he says, yes, Jesus died. But more than that, he is risen. Amen. And that's what we celebrate right now, that more than just he just died. We don't live in just the reality of Christ's death. We live in the reality of resurrection power. Amen. We live in the reality that, yes, he did die, but yes, he was raised from the dead indeed. As we've gone through this five-week series, all of these great truths that we've looked at, the thing that I've wanted to get through as we've gone through five different glances of being made new at the cross is this truth that he gets to next in verse 37. It says, Now in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Mm. We celebrate this morning that because of the conquering death and resurrection of Jesus, that you who have placed your faith in Jesus are more than a conqueror because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And the reason that we could say this with such authority, listen to these words of the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 5. It says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, and he has opened the scroll and the seven seals. The reason that we 
can say that it is finished. The reason that we don't have to walk in condemnation anymore is because the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. He's conquered sin. He's conquered guilt. He's conquered accusation. He's conquered separation from God that was fractured as a result of your sin and mine. And on Easter Sunday, we celebrate that he even conquered death. Amen? Amen. So Paul goes on to list the things that he's conquered in this exuberant fireworks display of God's amazing resurrection and power. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, if you're in Christ, can you be conquered by death? No. It's already been conquered. Is there anything that this life can throw at you that can defeat you? Nope, it's already been conquered. No matter how difficult, no matter what you walked in here feeling this morning, the sting has been taken out of it. It's been conquered. Nor principalities, that means spiritual forces out there, already been conquered. Nor rulers, nope, conquered. I mean, how many of you out there, every time you turn on the news, you're like, wow, there's another crazy dictator that has missiles and wants to blow the world up. Guess what? Their day is coming to an end, and they've been conquered, and we don't have to live in fear because we live in Christ, and they've been conquered. There's nothing that's present according to Paul. It's already been conquered. Well, how about this wicked person or wicked regime on the horizon. Nope. Anything to come, he says. Already been conquered. Well, what about powers? What about somebody really, really powerful? Nope. He says somebody more powerful already came and conquered them too. And in case you wonder if he left anything off the list, he gives this catch-all he says, not any other created thing. It's all been conquered. Because Christ walked out of the grave, we can say that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Because we are more than conquerors. I want to hear you say it. We are more than conquerors. You say it. We are more than conquerors. And we have been forever conquered by the great love of our Savior and because Christ has conquered and in him we are joined to him we are more than conquerors and we will join with this heavenly choir and sing Revelation chapter 5 and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you are slain and your blood ransomed the people of God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels. Numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy! is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them saying, 
to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And all the elders fell down and worshipped. Because the Lamb has conquered, we have conquered. Get that? Because the Lamb has conquered, we have conquered. Because the tomb is empty, we can know and we can shout with freedom that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? So as we celebrate baptism in a moment, I'm going to ask the baptizees to come on back and get ready for this time of celebration. We are celebrating that those who are getting baptized through their saving faith in Jesus are more than conquerors. As they go down into the water, it's a picture of being joined in Christ and being joined to the death that conquered sin. And as they're in the water, it's a picture of Christ's burial, but also a picture of washing that through Christ, the sin that brought death has been washed away and has been conquered. And as they come up out of the water, it's a picture of being joined to Christ in his triumphant resurrection. So as Christ has conquered death, they now with Christ are more than conquerors and joined with him in his triumphant resurrection. And nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask if the youth worship team would come up. Jesus, thank you so, so much that you did all of the conquering, yet through faith in you, you've accredited your conquering to our account so that we can say in faith that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. Um, we're going to be having a little bit of a different baptism than usual. We have many young people getting baptized this morning. Praise God for that, right? You can clap for that, amen? So we thought it would be appropriate because God is just doing mighty things amongst the young people here in our church to have the youth worship team lead us in worship as we prepare for these baptisms.
lifted his face up to the sky, said, I am coming home now, Father, to you. The which held his final sip was gently lifted to his lips. He drank his last and gave his soul the glory.
Amen. You may be seated. We love you. We thank you for the joy of baptism. God, we love new life. We are so thankful for these new lives. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, this is my son, Abel. I told myself I'm going to hold it together, but um, I'm not. This kid... Um, just uh, loves Jesus. He reads his Bible every every day. He tells me all the stories he's reading. And he told me uh, about a month ago that he wants to be baptized and he's sorry for all the sins. And um, so it's a joy being your dad, brother. Have you trusted Abel in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation, believing in His death for the only true satisfaction for your sin, believing that He rose from the grave? defeating sin and granting life and believing that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father but by him. you believe that, buddy? Mm-hmm. Do you trust in Jesus as both Lord and Savior and desire to live for him and only him all the days of your life? Do you believe that, buddy? Mm-hmm. If we are baptized, it is symbolic of being baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. It also symbolizes being baptized into his church body. You want to share anything, buddy? Or to the, your new church family, you want to share anything? No? Mm-hmm. All right, well. Upon your public profession of faith in the good news of Jesus, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is Anthony Valeri, and I've, I've known Anthony through uh, Sunday school and baptism classes um, for about a year now, and this is one excited young man to be baptized, and uh, so we're grateful to be here. I have a couple of questions to ask you. Uh, first question is, uh, have you trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, believing in his death for the only true satisfaction for your sin? believing that he rose from the grave, defeated sin, and granted life, believing that he alone is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him. Yes. Good there? All right. This is the important question. <laughs> As we're baptized, it's symbolic of being baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection, but it also symbolizes being baptized into this church body. So you have anything you'd like to share with the church before we baptize you? I love Jesus that he died for our sins. Thank you. God bless. Okay, we going forward or backward? Backwards, okay. Oh, let's step down here then. 
Upon your public profession, yeah, I'll take that out. Okay. Upon your public profession of faith in the good news of Jesus Christ, I baptize you, Anthony, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. a crowd back here. <laughs> Giovanni. Gio, have you trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, believing in his death for the only true satisfaction for your sin, believing that he rose from the grave, defeating sin and granting life, and believing that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to him, no one comes to the Father but by him? Yes. Do you trust in Jesus as both Lord and Savior and desire to live for him and only him all your days of your life? Yes. As we are baptized, it is symbolic of being baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. But it also symbolizes being baptized into his church body. Do you have anything that you would like to share with your church family before we baptize you? Yes, I want to say that the way I describe to be with Jesus is to be dipped with his blood, touch his hand to his feet, and be by his side all the time. Upon your public profession of faith in the good news of Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, believing in his death 
for the only true satisfaction for your sin, believing that he rose from the grave, defeating sin and granting life, and believing that he alone is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him. Yes. Do you trust in Jesus as both Lord and Savior, desire to live for him and only him all the days of your life? Yes. As we are baptized, it is a symbolic of being baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. But it also symbolizes being baptized into his church body. Do you have anything that you would like to share with your church family before we baptize you? Yes, I love Jesus. <laughs> Upon your public profession of the faith of the good news of Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is my daughter Christine. It's, uh, it's a joy to be here this morning with the friends and family that we have here, as well as the body of Christ. So Christine, have you trusted Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, believing in his death for the only true satisfaction for your sin, believing that he rose from the grave, defeating sin, and granting life and believing that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him? Yes. Do you trust in Jesus as both Lord and Savior and desire to live for him and only him all the days of your life? Yes. As we are baptized, it is symbolic of being baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection, but it also symbolizes being baptized into his church body. Do you have anything that you would like to share with the church family before you are baptized? Yes. Hi, my name is Christine Smith. I was saved on a Friday night when I was seven years old. Um, I had just come home from Bible clubs that night and it was something in the message that made me realize I needed to be saved. When I went into my room with my parents, I prayed to God asking him to forgive me and accepted him into him as my savior. 
Through the years, I realized God has always been merciful to me and that every day I am certainly learning and growing in him. I want to thank Mr. Bob and Ms. Lisa for running, for running Bible clubs, which taught me about the Lord. And I also want to thank my parents for helping me understand what being saved meant. Thank you. Christine, upon your public profession of faith in the good news of Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This next baptism, I just want to share a word of hope for any of you out there who have been praying for a loved one that you've been sharing the gospel with persistently for years and years. I've known Sue as long as I've known Jesus, and our family has shared Jesus with Sue for many years. It is, it is an honor to be able to baptize my dear friend and sister. Do you have anything that you'd like to uh, share with your church family? Um, it's just, I don't have any words. It usually just, it's so beautiful to be a part of Jesus' life. Um, I was raised Catholic. I'm going to keep this short because those that know me, I could go blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but those that don't, I'm going to keep it short. Er, Pastor Eric already told me, don't give a sermon, so... <laughs> I am just so blessed to have Jesus in my life. My family's here. It is so rewarding, and it's so easy. It's all you got to do is love Jesus and follow his path and be sweet to people. And It's such an honor to be loved by Jesus and to be saved and to have this baptism. 